I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome to Play Me's special series, The Show Must Go On, and part two of Sir John A., Acts of a Gentrified Ojibwe Rebellion by Drew Hayden Taylor. In part one, we met Bobby Rabbit, who wants his grandfather's medicine bundle back from the British Museum. After his efforts to reclaim his family heirloom fails, he enlists his buddy Hugh to join him on a road trip all the way to Kingston, Ontario. On the journey, Bobby reveals that he plans to dig up the bones of Sir John A. Macdonald and hold them ransom to retrieve the bundle. On the way, they meet Anya at a roadside McDonald's, and she joins them for the ride. This is part two of Sir John A. Acts of a Gentrified Ojibwe Rebellion by Drew Hayden Taylor. Americans. If you listen closely, you can hear them breathing, lusting just across yon border, gazing northward at us like sailors at some virginal young woman crossing the street. (laughs) The only thing that keeps them at bay is our winter and our resolve. They are Napoleon to our Russia. Some of my compatriots think I'm being too critical in my thinking. I mean, as individuals, they are fine and excellent people. I cannot say otherwise. But I dare say we can hear their expansionist belly start grumbling. And Canada be a nice, succulent, yearling lamb in their eyes. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I have been south of our polite border many times. It is a fine country. (laughs) When I was young, having been in this country only a handful of years, there was a family in Kingston that lived across the way, also from Scotland. The Bairds. Fine, hard-working, God-fearing people. Over the years, our two families would frequently meet. My father was even known to throw back a glass or two with old man Baird. Many said they had their share of faults. It was said the elder Baird had a bad habit of telling people how they should live their lives. The wife a little too pious and not afraid to rain down hellfire on those she felt needed it. And the children, oh, all too rowdy and mischievous for anybody's tastes. But who amongst us hasn't been born with flaws? Aye, we were made in God's image, but occasionally that image blurred. (laughs) And here's the important part. They were the birds, 
and we were the McDonald's. We were not them, and they were not us. Well, same with these Americans. It's my belief that Americans make great Americans, but poor Canadians. <laughs> now, I'm sure some may view us as squabbling siblings, as we were both born from the same mother, our glorious England. <laughs> but our childhoods were somewhat different. While we good Canadians were happy to nestle and grow at the teat of one of the greatest and most cultured empires to ever shine on God's green earth, <laughs> our big brother America sought fit to rip the whole tit right off during their Revolutionary War. Their whole history has been written in blood, while ours has been written in commerce. They are bold, while we are diplomatic. Their emblem is an eagle, while ours is a beaver. And eagles can eat beavers. <laughs> no, it is good. We have a definable and legal border between our two nations. I like Americans. Even more importantly, I like Americans over there. <laughs> During the years, I lost touch with the birds. I did hear a rumor some time ago that the entire family moved south, seeking their fortune. Maybe the Americans will know what to do with them. <laughs> Fucking birds. <sighs> Holstein. Brown Swiss. And some Devons. Oh, God, I hate cows. It's awful judgmental. What did they ever do to you? <laughs> Grew up around them. I got milk in my veins. <laughs> my parents wanted me to take part in their bovine empire, but the idea of spending my life running the dairy farm just did not appeal to me. Ever spend time with cows? They're gooey. There's goo coming from practically every part of them. I long ago passed my goo tolerance. <laughs> Fascinating. Goo. <laughs> you know, I think I'm just too damn trusting. I trusted Chris. Look what happened. Now I'm in a car with two guys I've never met. Well, a few hours out of McDonald's can make you do stupid things. So it seems. I take it you guys are First Nations. And what makes you say that? The way we talk, our complexion, my fabulous sense of humor, Bobby's stoic personality, the faint aroma of muskrat in the car. The dream catcher hanging from the rearview mirror. So, uh, what is bringing you two guys to the big city of Kingston? Other than that justice sojourn thing of yours. Well, since you asked, we plan, by action, to comment through civil disobedience... You? ...on several wrongs perpetrated by the Canadian government and other associated governments and organization, and by doing that... You? ...hopefully rectify a series of oppression issues experienced by the native people of this land in a 2006 Kia Sportage to boot. <laughs> Hugh, how do you say shut up in Anishinaabe? Ooh, I like that. I'm all for a little civil disobedience. So, what do you have planned? Something idle no more-ish? Uh, a round dance, maybe? Blocking traffic is only so effective in the long run. <laughs> but you're getting warmer. Hey, Bobby. 
Don't you think that it was a little ironic? I mean, on our way to Sir John A. McDonald's grave, and we end up eating at a McDonald's? Is that karma, irony, coincidence, or serendipity? More like necessity and the profitability of franchises. Those chicken McNuggets make you talk too much. Yeah, you love me. He is so passionate, isn't he? So, you're going to visit the big guy himself, huh? I can't say that I blame you for protesting him. His record on native issues wasn't exactly, um, progressive. Now, what you gotta understand is he was a man of his times, historically speaking. He was probably no better or worse than the majority of other men of his era. My great-uncle died in a residential school. Guess that made him a man of his times, too. It's all about context. I'm sure it is. Well, that forgives a lot. You know much about McDonald? McDonald is just one of my areas of expertise. Oh, really? Well, do regale us with your expertise. Uh, okay. Uh, if it weren't for him, we'd quite probably be Americans. Middle of the 1800s, Americans were always talking about annexing Canada, especially with its experienced and battle-hardened army fresh off the Civil War. Some generals thought it was just a matter of boots marching north. That helped precipitate John A. and his buddies to orchestrate Confederation. Canada became Canada to avoid being American. Funny, huh? I did not know that. That is kind of funny. Hilarious. The thing about history, as you have said, is it's all a matter of perspective or context. There's that word again. And I don't think it really made any difference about Canada and America. Can't say the American policy towards Native people would have been any different. They shot us. McDonald tried to absorb or starve us. That's a little harsh. Sorry. I'm sure in a hundred years people will say I'm a man of my times too. So try and see me in context. I'm hungry. We ate half an hour ago. What does being hungry have to do with eating? I believe I have some crackers and peanut butter somewhere in the back. Anya, I think it's in my backpack if you don't mind. Thank you. Any civilization that created peanut butter can't be all that bad, right, Bobby? <laughs> Actually, peanuts were originally grown by South American native people and then developed into peanut butter by an ex-slave named George Washington Carver. Interesting. The ultimate anti-establishment, anti-colonial lunch spread. Anya, if you don't mind, you said you had a knife? As our people say, thanks. Anya, where are you from? I mean, way back. Where did your family come from? Well, uh, like a lot of Canadians, I got a little of everything. <laughs> Mostly English and Scandinavian, though. Vikings in the British Empire. Never met a country they didn't want to invade or colonize. That's being a little racist, don't you think? Oh, come on. True racism has little to do with race. It's about a power paradigm. About one level of society having more influence and control over another level of society. The races are interchangeable, but the oppression isn't. So in this part of the globe, white privilege rules. Oh, uh, yeah, I know that argument. Well, they say the same thing about rape. Rape isn't about sex, it's about power. You disagree? About rape? No. About racism? Yes. I think it's more complicated. Look, sociopolitically, it's been said racism only exists from the top down. It's about exclusion, about privilege, the class system. It's a complex attitude with complex exceptions. I've heard some of your snide remarks about white people, so on its own level, uh, yes, 
I do believe it is possible that you, a First Nations man, could be racist against me, a middle-class white woman. If not technically racist, at least discriminatory. Cracker. Yes, thank you. Bobby. Bobby. No. Yes. See, Bobby? She's another smart cookie. A cracker-eating cookie. Hey, Bobby, can I ask you a question? No. Just thinking. How will your plan solve all our problems? It will be a bargaining chip. Bargaining chip? I am still having difficulty trying to conceive a happy or even positive outcome to all of this. And while you are one smart guy, this is kind of outside your level of res school education. Do you even know how to go about blackmailing the government? Blackmailing? What's going on here? I know perfectly well how to handle it. It will be a fair trade. This is fair trade? The bones of Sir John A. MacDonald for the medicine pouch? The the bones the bones of Sir John A. MacDonald? Anya, uh, Bobby is on a mission. We are on a mission. You're part of this equation, too. What mission? Give me that knife! I want some answers here. I want some real fucking answers now. Bobby, she wants some real fucking answers now. This is why I never pick up hitchhikers. Christ, I need a drink. Just pull over now. Pull over! Pull over! I've got bear spray. Hey, be careful with that. Where the hell did she get bear spray? Don't, don't, don't. I gave it to her. You gave it to her. If she sprays that in here... I will use it. But we're not bears! Ah, double Christ, I'm pulling over. We'll be right back. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. On occasion, I like a drink. Well, maybe a few. (laughs) Brandy if it's handy. Ale will never fail. Wine can fill any glass of mine. Sherry if I'm feeling a bit hairy. Gin will make me grin. And from champagne, I will never abstain. Oh, people find it a wee bit odd that I, a good Scotsman with an A. MacDonald, am not a bosom friend of whiskey. Aye, it's fine. it get the job done. But there's something about it that doesn't exactly tickle my fancy. The smoky flavor coming from the peat, like burnt dirt, takes me back to home. <laughs> peat, you see, was used to heat many of the houses. We left that behind. Aye, and I've lost a lot in my journey. My father, a barely competent merchant, forced to Canada, leaving behind sizable debts. My brother James, oh, poor James, died at the age of five. A blow to the head, killed by a servant. And then there was John. The first real Canadian of our family. Barely a year passed before he left Isabella and me. It broke our hearts. 
I miss you, lad. To you, my Isabella, may you finally be able to dance. Oh, and then, of course, there's Hugh, my headstrong and willful son. <laughs> Barely spoken to the boy in years. Oh, Hugh, my boy. I wish you were here to drink with me. Oh, my lovely Mary. No man loved his daughter more than I did, I don't think. Aye, you were born ill. You were different, but it's just made you all the more special. I drink to you, my daughter, not out of sadness, but out of joy. Me who outlive me, and this new century be as happy as you made me. Oh, <laughs> people say I drink too much. I tell them. I think I don't drink nearly enough. And you're the genius who came up with this master plan? You can't do this. Trust me, it's wrong. Whatever your heritage is doesn't give you permission to desecrate a grave let alone one belonging to the father of confederation. Uh, your father, not ours. If he is ours, then he was more of an abusive father. Didn't they teach you this stuff in university? In 1885, he suggested to Parliament that Native people be given the vote and not lose their status when they get it. Didn't they teach you that wherever you came from? I came from this thing called a reserve, which he helped create. He got the ball rolling on the residential school system. I could go on and on. The crime of digging up a grave seems pretty petty compared to all that. It's a statement we're making. I can't believe I got in the same car with you guys. You know, we all got our problems. It's not easy being a woman in this society either. A middle-class, well-educated white woman? I am sorry if I don't know all the words to the white woman blues. You're so condescending. Technically, can an oppressed minority be condescending? Doesn't condescension have a sense of superiority to it? Besides, I don't think we're here to play who's more oppressed. We need somebody who's black, Asian, Jewish, and has a seeing eye dog. Condescension can be transcultural. Okay. You and your brilliance managed to dig up the grave of John A. McDonald. What exactly will this statement of yours prove? Maybe that 500 years of colonization can have unexpected paybacks. Not everything can be settled and placated with an apology and a couple of checks. You know, John A. had a few problems in his own life. You know, you and everybody think of him as this paragon of privilege and success. The truth is, he and his family were immigrants that had to struggle to survive. For most of his life, he was barely able to financially support his family. His brother and son were... Blah, blah, blah. Cry me a river, white girl. Thousands, no, tens of thousands of our people died horrible deaths. Several generations of families torn apart because of him. Perspective and context. There's those words again. What an asshole. I guess you don't have to be from Perry Sound to be one. I have no idea what that means. What about your buddy there, Hugh? Where does he fit into this? I brought him along for support. He needs to get off the res occasionally to see the world. A graveyard in Kingston is not the world. You dragged him along because you couldn't do this alone. Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? You somehow convinced him to be an accessory to your crime. 
What a fucking shitty thing for a friend to do. Hey, I am his friend. Practically his only friend. You don't know his family. They have issues. We all have family issues. I was raised on a dairy farm, and my father took it as a personal insult that I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah, well, Hugh's family, they have different priorities. What the hell does that mean? Hugh is the middle child of seven, all quite successful and high-achieving, except for the dancing queen there. His three older siblings are literally a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. Most of his family don't really care for him. He's too different. They barely tolerate him. He seems perfectly fine to me. Well, you haven't listened to the way he talks? He's a throwback to another era. He's an oral and oral person. When he hears something, it's implanted. Have you ever heard him do an accent? It's annoying, but perfectly executed. Same with his thing with music. That's his reality. In another time and place, I think he would have been a master storyteller. Unfortunately, this world has little time for master storytellers. And so you thought the best thing was to drag him into this? All master storytellers need a master story to tell. So, my color-challenged friend, you gonna turn us in? One, bite me. Two, I'm not unsympathetic. First Nations people have every right to be pissed off, to want to burn bridges and blockade roads. I get that. But it doesn't mean you actually have to. Tell that to the people at Oka. I wasn't even born when Oka happened. Well, it still happened. Look, I know well-educated, middle-class white women have different priorities from ours. In fact, those priorities are frequently the antithesis of ours. So it would be really nice if he could reach deep down into that social guilt that quite probably throbs deep within you and forgive us our many trespasses. Wow. On the graph of assholes, you just like beating the bell curve, don't you? Look, I am not going to apologize for my race, my sex, or my upbringing. If I call the police, it won't be out of racism. It will be because you're an asshole, and I know for a fact they exist in all cultures. Thank you for proving that. (sighs) Ah, screw it. Do what you want. I have reached my asshole quota for the day. Dig all the way to China for all I care. Oh, would you like me to buy that beer, said the Indian to the white woman? Fuck you. She left. Ah, I see that high school diploma of yours was well earned. You really gotta stop driving women away, Bobby. It's counterproductive. This had nothing to do with Yvonne. Angry, smart women hurrying away from you to the door in the middle of one of your escapades? I don't know. Looks pretty familiar to me. I was getting a liker. The day I accept girlfriend advice from you is the day you get a fucking girlfriend. Until then, shut up. I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of you. To tell the truth, I'm getting so goddamn exhausted cleaning up after you. Of course something like this was going to happen. I... You... Ought to know better. And you're here to remind you of the mess you I would argue Canada would not be Canada without what exists in this glass. I dare say Canada was conceived through the veil of numerous hangovers. The making of a country is not for the frail. It's for men who have vision. And brandy or gin can help focus that vision. God, try to imagine a nation created by temperates. 
<laughs> Might as well leave it to the Indians. <laughs> People who complain about me, about my drinking, I tell them to go bugger themselves. Do you want to know why I drink? I drink. Oh, the hell with it. It's as if God has burdened me. He's given me great tasks and elicited great payment. I carved this country out of rock, mosquitoes, and endless horizons. I see its potential. I know its greatness. Oh, people place a little too much importance on my occasional indulgences. After all, I do not think I drink any more than any other Scotsman. My life is just a wee bit more public than most. Still, it gave me the fortitude to steer this country through the treacherous waters of Confederation. And not just me. Find me a politician who didn't drink. And I'll show you a man who thought the devil lay at the bottom of every glass. And logically, the best way to drown that devil is keep him inundated by perpetual drink. <laughs> to Canada! That was part two of Sir John A. Acts of a Gentrified Ojibwe Rebellion by Drew Hayden Taylor. Parts two and three are available now on Play Me. The play featured Herbie Barnes, Daryl Dennis, Martin Julian, and Katie Ryerson. Sir John A. Acts of a Gentrified Ojibwe Rebellion was commissioned and premiered at Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa in 2017 under the direction of Jim Milan. This episode's sound design and edit are by Gregory J. Sinclair, with additional sound design by Chris Tolley. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Theatre or Instagram at PlayMePodcast. And if you haven't already, please consider rating and reviewing us. It helps us get our podcast out to more listeners. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The Senior Director of Audio Innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me's Associate Producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is produced by Expec Theatre in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information on our plays and artists, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.